Welcome to another edition of Two Irish Guys Discussing Software. Uh, we're here again with one Irish guy. We're with <laughs> one Indian guy and one guy from all the way who's going to join us all the way from Florida. In a moment, we'll introduce you to uh, Vinnie Merkadandai. We will be uh, joined by him shortly. Uh, uh, Harry, uh, it's great to talk to you again. Last time we spoke, I was in Sydney. I'm back in Dublin now. I'm sitting here. You're still in San Francisco, are you? I'm still in San Francisco. Since we last spoke, always great to be here and continue the conversation, Tomas. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Listen, today, listen, today's episode, we asked how we spoke about mainframes. This yeah. is about the IT roadmap mindset. Okay. We're trying to shake up, get people to shake up the status quo. We're trying to get people to think differently. As they said during the Brexit campaign, we want people to take back control. Hopefully this time they'll do it right. So listen, we have a great show today. We're going to have a couple of things we're going to chat about. We will be joined very shortly by Vinny Mercandadai, who is a also a host of his own podcast, The Burning Platform, a series. Uh, he is a ex-consultant with PwC. He spent some time with Gartner, and he's a person who understands the software industry very, very well and has been around long enough, like myself and yourself, Harry, to have a very good understanding of some, some of the challenges around the IT roadmap and the pressures that people are put under. Uh, before we, we pull Vinny in in a moment, we're going to pull him in in a second. I just wanted to have a little conversation with you about what's happening in the, the market. When we spoke... But particularly to do with my IBM. When we spoke when I was in Sydney three or four weeks ago, we had seen, been talking about the mainframe and the yeah. fact we visited that conversation. Did you see, <laughs> and I know you did, <laughs> did you see IBM's Q3 results, $14 billion, and the mainframe with double-digit growth? That is impressive, isn't it? Not surprising at all. In fact, if you go back and listen to it, that's one of the points we made. We, these numbers were not, I don't believe, were released then, but I had a very strong feeling that they will continue that strong trajectory of mainframe growth. So what it does say, Tomas, is uh, mainframes, I think, which is the gist of the podcast last time, mainframes are here to stay. IBM is doubling down. They are investing in mainframes. They're focused on mainframes. So you know, we talked about all the different ways that it's not a possibility. There's nothing even coming close in terms of scalability, robust strength and security. So, nope, not surprising at all. You know, I, I bet it continues to thrive from here. I mean, it's it's amazing to think. I mean, they, they talk about the IT, an IT roadmap. The roadmap for the mainframe is they, they actually, to be fair to IBM, they have one. We give them an awful stick on this show and deservedly so in many cases. But when you look at what people are trying to do. If you think about digital, one of the things we were talking about the last time when I was in Australia, we were talking about what is happened with digital transformation, the journeys that, that people have been on traditionally, and particularly through COVID when it was all about infrastructure. It was all about getting digital platforms and technology into people's hands and people's homes. It was looking at process improvements. It was looking at employee productivity improvements, speed to market. That's all changed now. It is all about customer satisfaction, increases selling more, mm. put, using technology to sell more, and using technology to hold on to your customers for longer. I mean, the, the mainframe clearly has a role in that. I mean, I, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Some of this traditional technology is going to be around for a little bit longer. So it's it's fascinating. I did love, though, I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, the taking back control. I mm. love the optimism of the IBM UK head, who was quoted yesterday in the Daily Telegraph in the United Kingdom, saying that Brexit 
is going to be good for the UK. So <laughs> I, I, I love his powers of prediction. So listen, Harry, we'll bring cool. in Vinny yeah. on that note. Vinny, we're talking about taking back control. Welcome, Vinny, to our show. I'm delighted to have you both myself and Harry have been on your show. You're in Florida, is that right? Thomas, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Great to see both of you. I'm in Florida. We survived Hurricane Ian. It was supposed to come directly for Tampa. I remember you telling me you were right on, on its path, right, Vinny? Yeah, you know, uh, the legend, the legend, local legend is uh-huh. native spirits. There's a, some Indian mounds here, not mm-hmm. far from us. They watch over us. So we've had several direct hit hurricanes turn right or left at the last minute. And it happened again. Uh, wow. t- too bad too bad for Fort Myers and that community, but it was good for us. Thank you for asking. Yeah. 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 And Vinny, before we, we step in and have a, get into the serious conversation, you, you have an Irish connection, don't you? I do. My wife, Margaret, was born in Longford on a dairy farm. So yeah. she still, still can get rid of her accent, still uses terms <laughs> like uh, uh, Sod's Law and, you know, can you close the boot and stuff like that? So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have a particular set of turn of phrases uh, that that are that are difficult to get rid of. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, that that that, that allows us to keep the trend going with the two Irish guys. Well, you know, because we have Harry O'Candidate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We talked about that last time. That yeah, Harry. I'm beginning to like the ring of it, Harry O'Candidate. <laughs> We're going to talk about some stuff, Ari. I was going to get ask you. you you've yes. been looking at some reports, you know, back to this 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 uh, this whole area of of the IT roadmap. That's where we really want to get get yep. get Vinny's views on this. The, the shaking up of the status quo. Yeah. Oh, you've been looking at what people are saying out there. There's been some interesting recent res, uh, reports and, and studies yeah. on some things that are. Yeah, I was just, curious. I was just curious, uh, Vinny. You know, with the potential recession looming, with all these weather, stormy economic conditions, so we're not in many industries out of the woods yet, right? And there's a lot of focus. I was just curious, what are C-level priorities? So I just went around and, you know, started looking up some articles. And there's some great studies out there. You know, the one that comes to mind is uh, is an Accenture report. And they say that, uh, you know, th- this is uh, over 2,000 C-suite executives. Seven in 10 say that they have a cost transformation initiative at the top of their agenda. Cost transformation Cost optimization came up a lot in my research. Uh, not cost cutting as in, I mean, that's also important, but I believe that uh, companies are looking, uh, they're still investing in great technologies, but they're very picky and choosy where they where they invest. Is that what you're seeing as well, Vinny? Because prioritizing every single investment is is a theme that I found in, in, in some of the research I've been doing. Harry, it's not just cutting costs or optimizing mm-hmm. costs. There's also a huge innovation prerogative. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the last two years, I've had a chance to work with a couple of executives and companies on their innovation strategies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, know, you look at industry after industry. If you're in the auto industry, you're moving away from the engineering hardware culture to a much more software-centric culture, right? There's mm-hmm. something called ACE, which is connected, autonomous, shared, electrified. I mean, the changes that are happening there, you know, where people are looking at direct-to-consumer, getting rid of the dealers, 
if you look at all the electrification, the charge points and all that, that's just one industry, right? Mm. Over and over again during COVID, we saw people have to move quickly. If you were in healthcare, mm -hmm. if you didn't have telemedicine or outpatient care, you were basically stuck with mm -hmm. no revenues, right? If you were a retailer, if you didn't offer last mile delivery or curbside pickup, you were stuck, right? So the speed at which innovation is expected, and and yet you've got all these long-term contracts, uh, you know, legacy systems that just suck up so much of those dollars, mm -hmm. so little value. I, th I think that balancing mm -hmm. act mm -hmm. is putting a lot more pressure on the C-level suite. And, you know, let's face it, the C-level suite has seen early digital transformation successes, right? Right. They're like, why can't we do it? Absolutely. So like, why, are we, why are we spending so much money on yeah. on 40-year-old yep. systems, right? Yep. So, and that's the problem, right? You hit upon it, Vinny. Why are we not able to do it? I believe the big problem, and you know it, and there are so many studies, 90% or so of a typical IT budget goes towards keeping the lights on, leaving 10% or in many cases even less than that to do all the initiatives that's going to move the needle, as they say, for your business, right? Increase revenue, decrease cost, take market share from competition, all the examples that you mentioned in the medical and the uh, transportation industry. But that's the problem. A lot of that is still tied up uh, in your current budget. And that's another theme I picked up, Vinny, in, in, in recent research. It will be great to get your thoughts. You did not mention, neither did any of my research mention the focus or the importance of keeping the lights on. Well, it's important, but there's no talk about back office systems. Hey, I, I'm going to invest in a $10 million upgrade or gone are those days. You focused on technology or you talked about innovation. Would you, would, do you see that? Would you, would you agree with that theme and that thinking that companies are looking at all these technologies that's going to advance them digitally, right? AI, cybersecurity, data analytics, you name it. Do you see the same thing and not the focus on the back office systems as well, much? Yeah, so, so you mentioned upgrade. Right? Well, first of all, one thing that does get, when it comes to legacy applications, security, cybersecurity gets, mm -hmm. right? That's an investment boards are willing to make just because consequences of that are yeah. Optimizing comes up a lot, I find. Simplifying what you have, automating, those are the key words uh, that CIOs that I'm hearing, CIOs, C-leaders uh, focused on, Vinny. You know, another interesting theme here is all the innovation that you mentioned. There's also a lot of conversation about how much of it is coming from the major vendors today versus the faster, cheaper, more nimbler solution providers uh, that can bring a lot of these innovations quickly to the table. Any views on that? Uh, because you know, the article says mm -hmm. most of the innovation that I'm seeing tends to be very industry specific. Mm -hmm. And in that, it tends to be very operational, right? So if right. you go to the energy sector now, I mean, every utility is looking at either moving to renewables or they're looking at, you know, some different form of low carbon transition, right? That's not going to come from just changing your IT. It's going to come from, you know, the oil companies are looking at carbon capture. They're looking at extracting hydrogen from methane as a way of next generation energy. There's a lot of operational technology that is calling for investment, not just let me just move my old from one server to another. That, that's not getting much attention. 
No, no, not at all. And and the last point, Vinny, and I'll hand it back over to Tomas here. But the fact is, I think with, with in in situations like you know tough times like these, especially for the IT executives, while the spending is not fully tightened up, but they've become so much more smarter at looking at the right investments to make, and along with that, the ability to explore options. Right, in almost every case, there is a choice today, and choice means competition. Competition means best value back to you for the dollars that you're making the investment in. But any uh, any final thoughts before uh, before we hand it over to Tomas? Uh, I appreciate all your insights, but just wanted to see if you had anything else to add you to know, what we talked about. Yep. You know, I come from the Gartner world, uh, Tomas, as you mentioned. In the studies that I've been doing the last couple of years, I've dealt with more analysts that don't understand IT at all. The energy analysts, they are mobility analysts for the auto sector, the healthcare analysts, and so on. It's become, IT is an f- underlying element of the fabric of every industry, but the real investment is coming, is going into the operational aspects of all these industries. So, you know, we've had a great run in IT. We need to become a lot, lot broader in our approach because all those industries do need our technology backgrounds, but it's got to be at the very, very verticalized level. Sure. Can I you just could be stepping in there? Thanks. It's a great, I think that's a great conversation and it's a good lead into bringing us back to the theme of our conversation here about the IT roadmap. And I guess given my background as kind of a, a bit of an agitator, I guess you could say with free ICT work I've done in Europe and more recently in the US, do we think it's you know, it's, it's a bit, it's a battleground with the mega vendors always? It seems like it's constantly the next upgrade, the end of support. All those challenges that exist in the software world, and you you would know this in your vast experience in the SAP world, Vinny, I'm sure. I mean, is it fair? Is it fair that the software vendors control this? Given what you've just been speaking with Harry there about how important technology is, and, and especially in the operational side of things, and it's, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. It's the, it's the lifeblood of organizations, but they control the roadmap to a significant extent, is that, you know, is that fair? It is, it is if you let them, right? Uh, McKinsey recently had a really, really provocative prophetic statement. They said during COVID, they saw boards you know, say, hey, I got to, like I mentioned, you know, telemedicine or last curbside pickup. They said, we've got to do it, otherwise we'll be out of business, right? It was an existential threat. And guess what? Companies were able to do it in two and three weeks. So boards are spoiled now. They're like, what the hell are you coming back to me with two-year projects, four-year projects, right? I want speed. I want value right away. Trust me, the big vendors, if they don't move to that mindset, they're not going to get their big prior projects funded, right? So we moved into a whole new world. By the way, McKinsey said, if their projection is right, we're entering probably the most innovative decade mankind has ever seen. Okay, I mean, that's quite a prophetic statement, but we won't be able to do it by just upgrading an old legacy system or doing an ERP upgrade or a CRM upgrade. There's a lot more customer facing operational investments that need to be made. And the big vendors will have a role, certainly, but they're not going to control the roadmap. It's back to the smart CIO who's, who's got control to be able to deliver to that expectation. So the CIO needs to take 
take what we said at the beginning to trying to take back control. And it, yeah. it sounds to me that example you, you've given from the McKinsey report, the traditional way of, of doing things to IT transformation today is about selling. It's about finding new customers and finding new channels to, to, to drive business. Business, new business models, right? So the theme that I did for the last project, which is about new medicine, new energy, new new uh, mobility, new channels, new business models, et cetera, et cetera. If it's not new, it's not differentiating. So, yeah. I like what you said, Vinny, at the top of the, uh, the this particular segment. You know, it's fair if you let if you let them take control of the roadmap of the major vendors, as we are speaking about here, because that's the question I think every CIO in times like these, I think everybody, every C-level executive needs to be asking is, whose roadmap is it, in my opinion? Whose roadmap is it? And who's, I think that will lead to the conversation. How do you take control? Have you given up control to an extent that it's benefiting the, the mega vendors, or is it benefiting your business? Interesting questions. It goes back to what we spoke about in some of the research that I've been doing is you need a choice. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, right? It's that thinking about asking the question, whose roadmap is it, and, and well, are you, know, you in you control? Know, you know, Harry, the you hear the word composable application architecture a lot. Yeah, yeah. Even from the vendors, grudgingly, you're hearing that. What that means is people are buying a lot more at the modular, almost feature level. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're using APIs, they're using smaller vendors, et cetera. And you know, I constantly ask Gardner, my former employers, why do you guys still make magic quadrants at the ERP or CRM level? Nobody buys ERP and implements it at one go <laughs> in eight years. You got to start talking about smaller elements of, you know, if, if it's going to be composable, if you truly believe in composable, Quit trying to force people to buy big, you know, the vendors love it because, oh, yeah, if you can make a big ERP sale, it's one big sale. The reality is most companies don't consume that way. It just is too hairy, too difficult to consume at that course level. Vinny, then, what what does that that mean for the traditional IT spending patterns? Is it turning some of those on their head? Are we seeing different patterns now in, in the more innovative organizations? I, I absolutely don't do that. You know, they're starting to see very lumpy uh, revenue streams. I mean, you know, we've been seeing this evolution for, for uh, 20 years, right? Moving to the cloud was a different model. The, the, the transaction values became smaller. So, you know, it's, it's an evolution. They keep dreaming about, hey, look, we can still do the mega elephant hunting. The reality is... You know, it continues to happen in some cases, but a lot more is being bought at the consumable, smaller, modular level. Because there was some research that we saw from Forrester from a couple of years ago, looking at the size of amount of money spent within for soft for perpetual license software maintenance at a hundred about 180 billion dollars was estimated in that category. And when you can when you think about the category enterprise software estimates between half a trillion and $600 billion. So it's about a third almost of the total spend in in that bucket. Incidentally, the second biggest technology budget portion. So even though the patterns are changing, and I accept that this is is a moving feast and that number is declining, 
it stayed, by the way, one of our our views on this, and I'm beginning to get your thoughts on this, I'm asking you a two-pronged question here, is that one of the reasons that number stayed stubbornly high, despite the growth in cloud and the move to subscription-based models, is the practice within lots, many of the large ER, um, enterprise software vendors, including ERP, but all of the software vendors, not just the ERP guys, of doing software audits. And the software audits was popping up some of the license sales and the subsequent maintenance revenue that came off that for many, many years. That Some of that trend is beginning to change now because they're they're mo- trying to switch them to the cloud on the back of the software so, audit, so me, what I call the shakedown. So that's my two-pronged question to you, Benny. Go, go. So, Thomas, two things, right? When you look at it from a CEO board-level perspective, they look at it and they go, well, you know, IT spend is 2%, 2.5%. If you go to them and say a third of that is maintenance, they go, it's 0.8% it doesn't often get to their level of excitement, right? If you were to go to them and say, I can show you how to cut out 6%, trust me, they'd be all over you. But it's quite often for many companies, only 0.5% of revenues just doesn't get to that level of excitement, okay? Now, to your point about shakedowns and all that, I mean, that is the last hurrah for the traditional model. You know, they, what they're doing is they are basically squeezing the last, you know, drop out of the stone, if you will, juice out of the stone. But I can tell you this, every vendor who tries that, I can tell you, I can show you CIOs who have a freeze policy. Screw me this time. I won't buy anything new from you for the next five years. Okay. So this is a model that works for some vendors, but they are basically burning the future when they try that tactic. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, will it disappear? No, because, you know, people, the cost of migrating from a legacy application is the biggest holdback for many companies. So they'll, like I said, they look at it and they go, okay, let, let's just pay the maintenance. It's only 0.5% of our revenues, right? But are they rewarding that vendor going forward? Absolutely not. But I think it's you're right. The percentage is low, but it's of the of the available money, it's high. So if 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 your total budget is a hundred million dollars, let's say the average customer has ten million available to spend on innovation. Talking to a CIO, you will get his attention. No argument at all. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying if you go one level above or you go to the board level, it's tough to get their attention when the amount is not much bigger. You know, and then they look at oh, total revenues and they say growth and they're more excited about, hey, I can help you grow. When it comes to cost cutting, the big numbers get their attention. Yeah, true, true. But is there not an argument, Vinny, would you not say that this, going back to the roadmap and the control over the roadmap, it's kind of like they're in their ecosystem and it's not just the money side of things. It's, it's potentially the, the lack of options that exist or often feels to be that they don't exist because they feel they've invested so much with a particular kind of platform, let's say, and the amount of consolidation that's existed with a number of these vendors, they've tried to control the ecosystem. In the same way, you know, if you wanted to have an app for a phone in the morning and you developed it, you couldn't go to market without gauging Apple or Google. Just impossible. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't be able to sell it. You'd have to play by their rules. It's not quite the same extent with business software, but there are there are customers who feel that they have invested so much with, let's say it's SAP or it's Oracle or it's IBM, that they have felt today, or even Microsoft, they have no choice. 
five years ago, you know, I wrote SAP Nation a decade ago, probably two then, but even then I was seeing customers starting to use strategies like ring fence. They were not investing in the core, they were investing in modules, cloud applications around it and so on. So it's a long journey, but very little money is, if it's going towards legacy maintenance, it's all reluctant money. And if they're being squeezed into it, trust me, those vendors are not being rewarded. Yeah. <laughs> so the innovation you see from, say, people like us and other players in the market and, and other ideas that exist, not just necessarily our own, that reluctant money, there are, there are ways of, of changing the way they spend that money, isn't, aren't Absolutely. there? Absolutely. I mean, if you could see the, you know, the model you have delivers better service, saves them half the money. The, you know, the only reluctance is, hey, Origina is a small company. That, that, that would be the only hesitation point. Most of them are happy to show me those options. I mean, yep. you've got a great value proposition. I like your pitch. how many hundreds of customers have already rewarded you keep doing what you're doing the dam will keep leaking it won't necessarily burst overnight you won't be able to handle it if it burst overnight but this steady flow of legacy support will keep coming to you keep doing what you're doing Thomas thank you Vinny thank you listen Vinny before before we go uh, let you go there tell us what what are you working on at the moment and to tell our audience you know, I have been, I've had, like I said, a couple of years of very, very mind-blowing innovation exposure, right? When I look at what energy companies are doing in terms of low carbon, it could be nuclear, next generation nuclear, it could be next generation wind and solar or carbon capture or the hydrogen economy. I mean, there is so much exciting stuff. You know, it's, it's tough sitting in Europe, you're looking at a winter that's going to be tough. It's tough to get excited. There is so much exciting stuff happening in energy that, you know, in five years, we may have a glut of energy. Hard to believe, but we may have a glut, right? When you look yeah. at what's happening in mobility, right, the move to electrification, my God, we're moving into a whole new world of, of um, EV charging, you know, lithium and so on that was unthinkable a few years ago. So there's a, just, just a, Get away from the tic-tac IT routines, and there is so much exciting stuff happening that, you know, I almost sound almost too optimistic about what's coming down the pike. (laughs) Stay stay that way. Stay that (laughs) way, Betty. We need more optimism these days. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Brilliant, Vinny. Listen, thank you for joining us. Harry, another show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, always enjoy these conversations. And Vinny, as always, uh, learn something from you every time. I uh, love the topic. So uh, so apt and so timely. Glad you Taking... didn't six hours. I could, I could use up six hours with all the stuff I've learned in the last couple of years. <laughs> Taking back control of your roadmap. I think that's a great, uh, great, great topic, Tomas. Thanks for pulling it together. I think the bottom line question is, right, who's, Absolutely. you know, who's driving this? Are you driving a is it a vendor-driven roadmap or is it a business-driven roadmap? I'll leave, I'll leave you guys with that. Well, Penny, uh, Harry, I like your wisdom at the end there. Thank you very much. We will be back in a few weeks' time with another episode. Uh, stay tuned. Looking forward to seeing everybody. It'll be a little bit chillier out there in this part of the world, but it won't be. It'll still be nice. It'll still be optimistic. We'll see you then. Take care. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>